Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Senior. We're presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Matthew Penny is back. We just stopped recording on part one of this uh, episode this week. This one's not going to be like wildly long. It's going to be like, you know, 40 minutes, we're thinking, um, of just us talking about some draft decisions that we saw, Transfer Portal. Uh, we want to do Penny recruiting stories. Uh, I've got you know movie takes that we can get off. So th- this will be the second half of the podcast, and it- it'll be still a very interesting part. It just won't be as like newsy as the Final Four and breaking down the Final Four. So Penny, how's it going? I'm great. Feels like a, a quick transition. It was just yesterday we were talking about the NCAA tournament, and now we're we're back talking about the draft. So it's a quick changeover, but we are we're ready for it. We're, we're ready to be hurt by these prospects we think they're better than they are and yelled at for for guys we underrank and overrank okay so you sent me a big list of guys that have declared for this nba draft so far um let's see here io desumu declared today sharif cooper declared Jaden springer zaire williams kai jones trey man josh christopher marcus bagley dayron sharp charles bassey jt thor nemius Kata, uh dj stewart deuce mcbride ej liddell avery anderson musa cisse uh let's see i think that there's an even bigger group than that isaiah jackson declared at one point james booknight declared Cade cunningham was obviously declared uh have the champagnes declared as well i believe yeah both both champagnes also Cade cunningham declared Scotty Lewis okay, declared. Uh, hey, shout out Sean McNeil at West Virginia. Chandler <laughs> yeah. Vodrin, Terry Taylor, uh, JV on Hamlet out of North Texas. You know, Marcus Carr, I think, declared and transferred. I think Jay Huff is in the draft. James Akinjo's testing. Like, um, not all these guys are 100% in the draft. Some of them are testing. Some of them are kind of doing a bunch of different stuff um, to try and keep their options open. I think Daryl Morsell, for instance, his. Um, basically said i'm keeping the option open to, to return to maryland i'm declaring for the draft and i'm entering the transfer portal that like was my favorite one the trifecta anything possible i am ready for i can enter the draft i can leave elsewhere or come back to school you know what i dig it kids should do as much <laughs> yeah, as they can to keep their yeah. options open at this point in life one of three yeah okay so we just want to run through for like you know, 15, 20 minutes here. Some of the decisions that caught us most by eye, the Isaiah Jackson one, we've talked about a little bit, like he's testing. I think there's like a semi real chance. He might go back to Kentucky. Mm. What sways you in that way based on hmm, top 20 ish type range, I guess I, I've gathered from NBA teams would, would the go back to Kentucky be work on the development chase a national championship but try to boost the stock why do you think it kind of slants that way i mean so kyle tucker our intrepid kentucky writer said that isaiah jackson is looking for a lottery guarantee in a story up on the athletic uh his kyle tucker talked to i believe isaiah jackson's father and said the father said in my opinion that's what he is and needs to be in the lottery he'll go to a team where he can play minutes and showcase to the world what he can do and he hasn't even shown half of what he can do we know his value and we're willing to be patient whether they say that guy this year or next year they're eventually going to see it and we just want the right opportunity for him Um, He also said it's not about income. Uh, Me and his mom have been working for years. And if I have to work another year or two, it's no skin off my bones. And we had to let him know that to take the pressure off of him. So, like, I'm just saying, like, it it seems like. And he also said, if we hear from NBA scouts um, that this is the position that we're in, then, okay, we're gone. But we don't just want to do it half cocked. There are so many kids who make this decision based on people selling them dreams. People gas them up. Their families gas them up. Agents gas them up. And then the real lay of the land turns out to be different. We want to hear it from the right people. So I'm just saying, like, it feels like Isaiah Jackson is (laughs) genuinely wide open right now. But uh, reading into that, is he going to be able to showcase more of the stuff that I believe he said his father said he was kind of lacking last year at Kentucky? Is his role going to take on this crazy change where he's able to 
pick and pop and, and shoot more from three, facilitate more. I don't know what it is, and I don't want to put him in a box as a prospect because you can get better with time, with reps. I don't know if Kentucky's going to have that same approach, I guess. Maybe they are, but I don't know if they need a rebuild. They're, they're going to reload with, with transfers, with recruits. Obviously, their, their fan base is rapid. They want to win now. Winning is going to supersede any player development in terms, I know it's always a player's program, but I would guess that they'd lean more that way. So there, there are two ways you could look at this. So Isaiah Jackson really came on late in the year. Over his last seven games, he averaged 13.3 points, seven rebounds, two blocks, and was like a monster in those games. Like he was a total stud. Um, kind of what we were hoping to see from him the entire year uh, after his like crazy athletic start right yes so on one hand you could look at it and you could say okay oscar shibway is coming in damian collins is coming in um lance Ware is still probably going to get minutes in some regard keon brooks it seems like is coming back is he really going to play more minutes is he really going to have a bigger role next year I think the answer to that's probably maybe he'll play a few more minutes. Like by the end of the year, he was basically up around like 23, 24 minutes a night. Um, You could maybe make a case to me that he plays like 26 next year, I would say. Having said that, could he play more minutes with much better guard play, like getting another year older Davion Mintz, getting Kellen Grady in there? And I think they're going to get another point guard. Um, like, I think that they're going to bring in another point guard, uh, especially having lost Devin Askew. Like, I don't think Devin Askew transfers unless there's another point guard other than Nolan Hickman also coming in. Mm-hmm. So I'm just kind of looking at it and I feel like he might have an easier time scoring. And frankly, like Isaiah Jackson needs some development defensively. Like he's a great defender, but there is still a ways to go with him in terms of making the right reads consistently, in terms of being in the right rotations, in terms of uh, just pick and roll like gap coverages, right? So I think there's some real real hesitancy on the Jackson family's part, it feels like, and they might want to go and be... They, they might prefer to, once he hits the NBA, he's there and is like ready to go, as opposed to developing on the NBA level like many freshmen try to do. Yes, totally. Totally agree with that. Totally cosign. For an athletic big, he's what, 6'10? Yeah. 6'10, 7'3 wingspan, something like that. Great measurables. Do you see more as a four or five? Five. Has to play the five. Can't. So I, so I would say if, if he wants to be most prepared and what's most intriguing to NBA teams would be that type of, of archetype frame build, but also the ability to shoot from three. Space the floor a little bit for your guards and wings to, to penetrate. So, you he know, took, let me, let me interrupt two, that. Three, he, 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 okay, but he, let me just interject and you can throw in. He took two yeah, yeah, threes yeah. last year, 0 for 2. So I would say if that's the, the swing set he wants to develop, I don't know if it turns into he's taking two or three a game now. So I, I, I'm not going to say who it was, but I was talking to a coach of another big man who has a decision to make this year right <laughs> I, lo- I love the uh the breadcrumb clues yep and he brought up the idea of like look like i don't th- and i agreed with him he was like look like i don't think that our guy like needs to become this shooter right like i don't think he needs to go out and shoot 100 threes i don't think he needs to go out and like be some player who does different stuff like he just needs to learn how to play on the perimeter better, play in ball screens better, maybe short roll and pass more, um, and do more role playery things on offense as opposed to like really shooting. Because yeah, shooting would help and it would open up like potential roster constructions and thus would make you a more valuable player. But like on the other hand, the center position is like the one where teams would like to have shooting but to me like the role player stuff like being able to pass the ball being able to like play in dribble handoffs being able to do like x y and z like that stuff is more valuable i think on offense and even being able to shoot and i think that like that's the stuff that isaiah jackson needs to work on even more than the shooting sure i i just the only thing i can't get on board is if they're saying they want a, a lottery guarantee i would guess that the part of it's going to be the shooting the role player stuff to yeah, develop that's a good on point. and, and 
and get a little bit more polished offensively, great. It makes me picking you at 22 even happier. But if I'm going to use a lottery pick on a guy, I want it to be more of a a complete package from a a shooting perspective. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I I don't really see, like, top 10 upside for Isaiah Jackson next year. Like, maybe he goes 8 to 10 or something like that. Like, maybe. But I would rather go, you know, 17th, 19th in this draft and get to free agency quicker than go 8th to 10 if it's about the money particularly like i think in the long term you're gonna make more money doing it that way um by getting to free agency faster but the key is being ready and if they feel like they're not ready to go to the nba like if isaiah feels like he's not ready to be a professional basketball player then sure stay you know what i mean yeah more power to you that that all all clicks a a lot better than wanting to necessarily jump the the draft spots if it's more about we want him to be prepared so he goes in day one, can play 12, 15, 20 minutes versus you come in and maybe you need some time in the G League and you got to learn the offense a little bit more than, than yeah, do, do the play you want to run. What did we think of Scotty Lewis and DJ Stewart? So they're both like gone with agents is their announcement. Yeah, I, I wasn't surprised with Scotty. I, I felt it was probably going toward that direction. I. I guess a little bit, I thought potentially he could transfer just based on he wasn't shooting as much. His last couple of games weren't great. Similar to DJ Stewart. DJ Stewart actually sneaky had like a, a better finish as people yeah. would maybe imagine at Duke. It didn't go how he wanted to. He's he's had this interesting arc where he was unranked at high school, exploded the tail in his career, ends up being a top 30 guy. Still averaged 13 points and four rebounds. And if you told somebody that, they'd probably be surprised because yeah. he just hasn't really been on draft board since the beginning of the year. At six foot two, I'd want him to be a little bit better than a 42% shooter from the field and, and 34% from three. But if guys want to get moving on their professional careers, I'm not necessarily going to knock that on, on them if they think their draft stock is where it is right now and it's not going to change. So, so with DJ, DJ averaged in a 10 game stretch from january 23rd to february 22nd so basically a month stretch here played 10 games 48 percent from the field 40 from three 83 from the line 13.6 points three rebounds two and a half assists versus 1.8 turnovers like it was a legit good stretch then in the final little like five game run here he was actually pretty bad in his last five um you know 35 from the field 11 points per game, basically one-to-one assist to turnover, um, didn't shoot it well from three. So I think if he had closed those final five games after that 10-game stretch well, it'd be kind of a different conversation. And like, we shouldn't over-evaluate five games either. You know what I mean? Right, like it, right. But the things that DJ Stewart needs to work on, because DJ Stewart is six foot two and 165 pounds. He needs to work on getting stronger. He needs to work on decision-making. He needs to work on like reads out of the pick and roll needs to work on his shooting consistency. Like he'll be able to work on the shooting consistency stuff at the G league level. Probably will be able to work on the pick and roll read stuff. The thing that's like actually not that easy to do at the G league level is add like a crazy amount of weight. Because those teams travel quite a bit, much like NBA teams, especially next year, once the bubble is not going to be a thing, we don't think, right? Um, I hope not. Yeah, like I would think we're going to have pretty normal G League season. And those like weight camps, those like weight rooms there for a lot of G League teams and like nutritional teams for G League teams aren't really like at the level of a Duke or like an NBA team. So. We think that he's probably a two-way guy next year, right? Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Just uh, where do you see him from a a roster allocation spot? Is is he a? He's not a point, right? Is he a combo? Is he as a full-time point guard? So he's so he's a six foot. He's a six foot two, hundred and sixty-five pound combo. I don't know. Is he a? Do you you just said the assist to turnover ratio? Do you trust him playing full-time point guard? No. (laughs) Right. Right. So so that that's my hang-up too. Yeah, I, I really, truly think that he probably should have gone back. Um, I, I, like, with the way that he made strides from the early portion of his uh, Duke season to the middle portion, 
I think it would have benefited him to go back. Like maybe he was just done at Duke, then transfer. Like I agree with you. Like you, if you're done at Duke, transfer at the end of the day. Um, but I don't know if he was. Like maybe it was a situation where he just was done with college, right? And that's fine too. Sure. Yeah. But I think he's not leaving at the peak of what his stock could be. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and, and, and with the tournament run, we have Paolo Bancaro coming in and, and A.J. Griffin coming in, and who knows what whether the guys return to the roster if they sign another highly touted high school guy late, which is also a possibility. They're going to be better. They, well, they got Trevor Keels, too. They, that's right. They just signed Trevor Keels. There's, there's yeah. also, I'm, I'm not trying to be spoilery, but Patrick Baldwin, he's in the mix for there, Milwaukee, with or without him. Your roster, you would think, from a, a depth perspective, could make him look better with those pieces around him than potentially what it did this year. Yeah, and like Matthew Hart has not made um, a decision yet. Like, there's, you know, I, I don't know what he's going to do at this point, it seems like, um, until the decision is made, let's say, right? Yeah. So, who knows? Like, I, I feel like there was room for DJ to go back to school to improve the things that he could have improved because at the end of the day, we're talking about a guy. I don't think DJ Stewart's going to get a guaranteed deal, right? I, I, I'd bet against it, yes. But we do think that there is a chance that if he would have gone back next year, had a good year, he could get a guaranteed deal, right? Yes, agree with that. To me, like that that's kind of the... That's kind of the borderline of it. Like, I, I think it would have been smarter. Like, I, I think the upside is way higher for him to go back to school at the end of the day because of that. Um, not to belabor the point necessarily, though. Okay. Uh, Scotty Lewis, it, it just feels like Scotty needed to get out of that situation at the very least. And we're now at the point where um, it feels like people are just going to continue to pick apart Scotty Lewis's game. And he's really just kind of a jump shot away from being something reasonable as an NBA player. And you can improve the jump shot at the NBA level. Like, look, there's a lot more to it than that. Like, he genuinely really needs to improve his feel for the game, improve his over-aggressiveness. But, like, he has more tools. And then if he gets the jump shot, which I think is a little bit easier to gain at the NBA level and at, like, the pro level... Like, there's a world where he can be a rotational player that makes sense to me. Like, where are you on Scotty Lewis's choice? Jump shot would have to get there, and that was the knock coming out of high school, too. Super, yeah. super athlete. Can play defense. Can he might not game. have touch. Like, that just might be a thing. Right, right. I mean, he yeah. he kind of had this moonshot jumper, moonball jumper, where just really high arcing. It, it's gotten better. The staff there, I thought, did a, a pretty good job of honing it in, but just needs to be done even more so i don't he's not he's just not rotational yet for me and i I look at the board i don't know where he fits in and when guys watch tape you you might think one thing and when you get that kid in for a workout and and see what he can do athletically maybe it, it swings your opinion on it because you see what he can do getting up and down sliding his feet laterally and the jump shot if it gets there maybe it's this dime in the rough type guy and like super character kid too we should say that like very like positive personality really good to like be around like when you like see him in a gym right like yeah oh good great kid played on the under armor circuit was around forever was a highly rated ranked kid so always had cameras always had the attention was all of our league camps people swear by him that worked the events because he was just outgoing and, and nice to everyone around him i i hope that he kind of puts all the the tools as you would say together and, and makes it run at this thing because all the guys we're talking about there there's not necessarily guarantees i don't i don't think either of those guys will have a guarantee in the first round so it will be a a sort of uphill battle for them to establish a a position within the league. Okay. Is there anyone else that you saw here that you really want to talk about? I want to talk a little JT Thor. Okay. Give give me some JT Thor thoughts. (laughs) I it seemed ambitious for the declaration. I I'm curious without knowing the behind the scenes stuff. Is this the, the toe dip for next season to really let people know this is my intention a year from now? Uh, another strong end to the season. He had 24-9 against Kentucky on February 13th, and then double figures in five of his last six games. Finished the year 44% from the field, 29% from three. Developmentally, I would like to see him go back for another year Auburn, pair him next to top five recruit Jabari Smith and a potential top ten team. 
like the DJ Stewart thing, he's going to get more more press and buzz and love playing on a, a team that's going to be highly ranked and playing in primetime games than, than maybe he did this season at Auburn. Yeah. No, I think that that's absolutely right with JT Thor. I would like to see him go back. I hope this is just like a toe dip. I, I would think it is, to be honest. Like, he's keeping his options open. I will say, I would bet you a team would give him a two-way right now. Like, I, I would yeah, almost yeah, guarantee no, I, that. I certainly would, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, I would as well. Has real potential to shoot the three. He shot 29 from three this year, but, like, the shot looks like it should get there at some point. Um, has real touch. Really, really good athlete. Like, very mobile on the perimeter and, and athletic in the way that NBA teams are looking for and the way that he moves laterally and the way that he can protect the weak side of the rim. Um, if he becomes a first-round pick next year, I would not be surprised, but I don't see a team using a first-round pick on him this year. Yeah, exactly. It, it's it's more repetitions. He kind of tapered off a little bit at the end of high school because he, he bounced around a couple spots. Felt Auburn was a, a good place for him and, and did more than than really I expected to him. I thought this would be a conversation we have in two years, but if, if this is just a real test of the waters to get an idea of his stock, I'm not upset at that. What do we think of Marcus Bagley declaring but not um, hiring an agent? Uh, I'm going to go with smart with that one. I, I like his size yeah. for shooter at 6'8", although I, I don't know if we label him a shooter when he was – 39% from the field and 35% from three this year. Like JT Thor, it looks cleaner than that. Only played 12 games. The The numbers definitely took a nosedive after the new year. He battled injuries. He didn't play all of February. I wasn't super surprised with the the declaration. Probably just on the, the upside stuff. Could be conversation for late first, early second. He is a big-time athlete, which wasn't always shown at, at Arizona State. Uh, also could see him being a, a workout wonder type of guy. And you, you just curious with him and, and Josh Christopher, there was really high expectations for that team. They they never lived up to them. How much did that weigh on him paired with the injuries? And after starting off the season strong, how do you live up to your own personal expectations of being a, a lottery pick through five games? Yeah, I'm not super sure what to do with him because of the sample, like you said. Um he was kind of a late bloomer in high school where people that saw him later in high school would tell you like, Hey, this kid's really good. Like that, that kind of lines up with you, right? Yeah. He ended top 30, top 40 ish. And he played for his dad on the Nike stuff and, and just kind of then other, some offshoot events in California. So I didn't get eyes on him and wrote him off because, Oh, here comes another Bagley. And then when you see them play, you see him shoot. It kind of made sense. And I, I see the, the tantalizing stuff as a top 30 prospect. When you look like that, you can run, jump, and shoot. Yeah. Um, let's talk about two guys that decided to go back, and then we'll move to the portal. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis and Tavion Kinsey. Jackson Davis is interesting just because it seems like he's going to be the centerpiece of the Mike Woodson rebuild there uh, for at least year one. I believe, uh, like I was told on, I did the assembly call podcast thing. Um, which is uh, the Indiana, like an Indiana podcast, basically with Jared Morris. Um, I believe Andy Bottoms also co-hosts it, but I, I did it with Jared. Um, they told me that Woodson basically told Trace Jackson Davis, like, I'm going to pull you if you don't shoot the ball next year. Like, I will take you out of the game if you don't shoot. That's really good sign and really empowering, I feel like, um, because that is is exactly what Trace Jackson Davis needs to prove. He has to prove he can shoot because he's essentially right now a six foot eight to six foot nine center. And that's just not gonna work at the next level, I don't think. Were you asked on because we were so positive about the hire last week? I mean, I, I'm sure that that played a role. The fact that I've been like reasonable and saying, hey, I, I don't know what this what this is gonna look like. You know what I mean? It, of course, and, and reasonable is is good. It's fine, and and we talked about how Mike Woodson's probably going to come in and, and run an NBA style system, and Trace Jackson Davis doesn't take any threes, and he's just going to need to because he played free throw line and in, has a really good short jump hook, but needs to expand out there. I like these coming back. Uh, there was kind of that also hint where he gets hired, he tweets that he's interested. There's a an eyeball emoji. 
I'd rather have him come back and be the the sort of one of the faces of college basketball next year as opposed to fighting in the 40s or 50s because that range will still be there for him as a as a floor I would say a year from now. But it, yeah. it's good for college basketball. It's good for his development. And it's also a, a sneak peek for him of maybe some NBA style type sets where he didn't run the last couple of years. Yeah, I think that the upside is worth it for him basically to go back because if he can prove he can shoot it kind of drastically alters who he is as a prospect and i believe in guys being able to improve as long as they're willing to work at it and do what they have to do yeah and it's they put the right people around him too with thad mata dane fife kenya hunter it's, it's a good staff and player development will obviously be the, the top of the list and just to stay on indiana they have christian lander going back jordan geronimo going back and in this transfer poorly age it's kind of like the equivalent of a top 30 40 class coming back to school and then what did you get tavion kinsey kinsey's on my radar early in the year super athlete long set marshall uh didn't do it enough for me from the perimeter shooting wise uh, super bouncy off the catch can get in the lane extends just a lot of back to the basket stuff he kind of would if he wants to be a wing set to back the ball down a little bit less i thought he may test the waters going back he'll he'll be a, a mid-major-ish darling next year and have to see kind of what he can do to, to show they can shoot too yeah shooting's the big thing for me with kenzie let's uh take a quick commercial break and then we'll be back we're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in june i need to tell you about securing your internet connection with nordvpn what is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN. If you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash gametheory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord, and it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash gametheory. okay we're back uh we wanted to talk about the transfer portal so as we talked about on the previous episode here uh baylor built its roster with the transfer portal and this is the new normal in college basketball teams are going to have to adjust to being able to build their roster through the portal now i think it's 
interesting because I've been having a lot of conversations with coaches who like reach out to me and are like, Hey, what do you think of this guy? Hey, what do you think of that guy? Right? Like, I'm sure that that happens to you as well. Right? Sure. And, and a lot of guys that are politely retreads who, who may have played in our circuit and you see out there and they're at their previous school, the numbers may not pop, but what do you remember about his game that I can't watch on synergy? Right. So the conversations I've been having are largely about like roster philosophy almost um basically just like how do we weigh recruiting a recruit like a freshman and bringing him in for four years and trying to develop him or even for like two years if it's a really good recruit versus bringing in one and done transfers who are 22 years old and bringing in three of them over the course of the next three years so like the the team that comes to mind here for me is like Ohio State, right? Ohio State, um, among many other schools, is recruiting Efton Reed, right? And Efton Reed is a four-star, borderline five-star. I would have him more as a four. Big man who is very skilled, but is going to take some time defensively because he has a ways to go in terms of reading the game, has a ways to go in terms of his lateral mobility. Um, is there anything that you would kind of say differently about Efton Reed no you think he's closer than where I do no no I it's going to take some time and had some injuries this past year at IMG Academy so he's going to have to work himself back into playing I I guess every day and and playing through that stuff and it's not going to be he despite his his lofty ranking it's not going to be an immediate production thing I would guess right so is Ohio State better off getting Efton Reed for a freshman year that's going to take some time in developing him for a sophomore year where like he could be the best player on their team if things break right with his development like we would agree with that sure yeah but could take multiple years like it could be a second developmental year and then like a third year where he's fine and then a fourth year where he's good i'm sure efton reed does not think he's going to be there four years because none of these kids do but like Nonetheless, right? Like, I'm throwing out hypotheticals of how his development could go. <laughs> yeah, right. All the choose your own adventure paths, yeah. Or would they be better off recruiting a one-and-done big man who's 22 years old already? Like, um, yeah, I'm pulling up our transfer ranking list right now that I'm doing with Brian Bennett. So, at the bottom of our list at number 49, we have John Harar out of Penn State, who was one of the best offensive rebounders in the country, averaged like nine rebounds a game, um, super tough, very good analytical darling kind of player. Um, right. Would they be better off just recruiting that kid and then recruiting two more in each of the next two years versus getting Efton Reed's development or uh, Efton Reed's like potential to be the best player on your team in two years if things break right? It has to be situational. and I don't want to speak for Ohio State and EJ Liddell yeah, and, uh, for the draft. And I'm not, I want to also be clear, like, I'm not, like, um, saying this, like, from the perspective of having spoken to Ohio State. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm, Uh, of course, doing this in terms of a thought exercise. Yeah. So for the thought exercise, if, if EJ Liddell goes back to Ohio State and goes to back to school, you probably have more time for an Efton Reed, unless you think you are so close to get over the hump and you just need one more big who can give you a little bit of toughness, plug and play, you don't have to worry about development, then you go with John Harar. The new coaches who are, are getting jobs, who are, are kind of trying to reconstruct their roster because you talked about how high the turnover is for transfers both ways, guys coming and going. Newer coaches are hesitant to take high school seniors because of that. Because if you're a new guy and you get to a spot, you're better off having this this base of film and experience for a guy who may be 21 or 22 and you know if you play maybe it's a lower major school but here's what they did against high majors that's different than a high school kid who hasn't signed yet maybe he's ranked in like the 200 range and there's more of mystery so you have to find what the what the balance is there i wouldn't take all transfers i wouldn't take all freshmen it's going to be a blend school by school that's the only way i think it it works seamlessly because even with baylor's transfers it wasn't everyone there no everyone leaves leaves some guys will still be carryovers too you need to be able to instill your culture and not have it depart every 
April when you have a new cycle. Yeah, I think that that's that's a good way to put it. Like Musselman still recruited Jalen Williams and Devontae Davis last year, right? It's freshman, but then accentuated it with Justin Smith, Jalen Tate. Um, who else did he bring in? He might have brought in a couple other guys. Yeah, too, Moses Moody, yeah. Yeah, Moses Moody is a freshman as well. Jesus Christ, yeah, what the fuck's right. going on with so, my so brain? He, <laughs> I thought that was the, the build-up for the, the punch, but that's a, a great example. He's he's known for getting these transfer guys, but still bring in these four or five-star recruits to put around him. It can be a positive thing because they're they're seeing the the work it actually takes in the college weight room and to, to play hard in practice and how that translates onto the floor versus – Man, when I was at, at UMass my last year, we brought in six freshmen. It's, it's just a lot. It's it's a lot of guys kind of expecting playing time, and you're a little bit lost because you don't know how you fit in. If you're trying to win right now, you don't have time for that. And you also don't have time for it if you have eight transfers at a high major and guys are trying to get in and get out for the draft. So what other kind of topics do you want to talk about transfer-wise here? Because there, there were a few different things that we kind of brought up. Uh well, I, I, we, we've touched on it before, but I, I guess in terms of construction, we saw the we saw the shift and kind of the one and done thing was, was a big shift in college recruiting, where some quote unquote blue gu- blue bloods stuck to their guns and, and didn't want to change their philosophy and change their style. We have now this potential one time transfer rule that is expected to be passed and, and players can freely move one time between schools. I'm curious your take into how much all schools embrace this versus fight this, while at the same time, knowing with 2021 high school seniors right now who just haven't had eyes on them from college coaches in person for like a year and a half now. So because of that, you're going to have all these 2021 kids go either too high or too low Water is going to find its level eventually, and the transfer portal will be crazier this time next year is my prediction. We're already looking at 1,200 names. How much is this going to impact college basketball, I'd say, especially at the highest level? All right, do you anticipate in a year or two from now, we're running through, we're still doing this hopefully, a top 10 list and all the rosters they played at different schools a year ago? I wouldn't say all of the rosters, but I would say that there's a good chance that something like 40 to 50% of it is maybe 40% of the top teams probably have like guys that transferred in, like maybe two fifths of the starters, maybe three fifths of the starters in some cases. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if teams kind of dive all in kind of like I was saying before, like, the teams just decide, you know what, we're going to go out and recruit the best 22-year-olds we can, and we'd rather have it that way. And we think we can teach them in a year. Um, I would bet the average is probably like between 40 and 50% of kids, though, um, at the end of the day. I mean, I think we're at almost 1,300 transfers now, right now, um, yeah. in Division One basketball. Uh, I'm, I don't have the portal up in front of me right now, um, weirdly. Uh, uh, sorry, I decided that podcasting with you was more important than paying attention to the portal. Um, <laughs> the portal never the, the portal never stops, though. I mean, it, same with the, the draft declarations. We're on here, and I try to keep up so we don't miss anything, like Armando Baycott just declared for the draft. Like you, you got to put it away for an hour to do something because the news keeps coming. It doesn't stop. So, yeah, I think this is a new normal. Like, college coaches are going to hate it initially because that's just their immediate reaction to change oftentimes, right? Which right, is okay. Right, yeah. um, I think it's everyone's reaction to change a lot of the time. But I, I, I think that they're just going to adjust and it's going to become the new normal. And, you know, I remember talking to a high-profile, high-major coach last year and, you know, we were talking off the record and he was very frustrated with my opinion on transfers and guys being able to transfer freely and believing that um kids should have you know not that kids should have rights like he's all in favor of that but just the effect that it's going to have on college basketball as a product um in that it's just really hard to teach 18 year olds and 19 year olds i get it like i i'm i'm sympathetic to that but at the end of the day i just think it's way more important that we give these kids these freedoms to be able to move i I mean that's almost the more pressing question to me maybe not pressing but interesting question to me do we think the product of college basketball will suffer because of these transfers no i don't at all people said the the product would suffer with with one and done say i don't think it has at all 
I don't think anyone turns off the TV because they say the, the product is so bad and these guys are only here for a year anyway. They're going to be out of here. We watched the Final Four. Baylor won it all with four to five transfers. Houston had a handful of guys. We were celebrating Johnny Juzang transferring from Kentucky to UCLA. Uh, muscle Coach Musselman's way ahead of the curve on on their stuff. Uh, Gonzaga has a couple transfers in their rotation with Nemhard and Cook. Yep. It, it's kind of already happened, but now it's more of a, a mainstream thing. Some of the guys were ahead of the curve of doing this anyway, and the last year where guys were getting waivers to play right away and it was more of an inconsistent method. The only thing I would rally for is there needs to be some drop dead date of whatever the arbitrary date is, May 15th, June 1st, because yeah. college coaches, the guys leaving, they also need to know that and not late in the summer and all of a sudden three guys are gone and you're playing with 10 scholarships or nine scholarships. There needs to be some balance there. I, I am comfortable with that to an extent. Like, just make sure it's after the NBA declaration date, basically. Like, that's, right. that's all right. I care. Um, but, like, you mentioned it. Like, just look at the top teams this year. Gonzaga, like you said, Nem Harden, Cook, Baylor, the guys that we mentioned on the previous podcast. Uh, uh, Davion Mitchell, Macy Oteague, Adam Flagler, Chama Chachua. Um, Michigan this year had Chandy Brown and Mike Smith. Mike Smith, transfers. Yeah. Um, Houston, obviously, is Quentin Grimes, Dejon Giroux. Uh, who, who else? I feel like there are a couple Bryson others, Gresham right? was on the team of transfer. Was Gorm, Gorman was a transfer, right? Gorham was it? Was it Gorman, Towson? I believe that Reggie Chaney was at Arkansas. Um, yep. You know, they, they've certainly hit the transfer portal as hard as anyone. USC this year uh, went out and got Tajidi, Isaiah White, Drew Peterson, uh, Chavez Goodwin, like, Mo- Noah Bauman, like most of their roster outside of the Mobleys. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, so it's, ha- it's it's happened. It's happening. Yeah. It's happened. But Guys like the best teams adjust. are filled with yeah. transfers too. Like exactly. it's not just like yeah. the product is flailing. Like the best teams are the teams that are transfer are getting kids in with transfers. So yeah, like I, I kind of think the coaches can miss me with the product thing being worse. No, it, it, it may take more of an adjustment. There's not going to be the the year to year culture carriers, maybe that that carries every year, and you're not going to have as many four year stalwarts. And guys may leave from from high majors to to go down or go to a different school. And it, when guys leave for the NBA, it's similar. It's just different levels of, I guess, impact players leaving. Like that'll be a change. But I, I don't. I'm not against. Uh, a changing of the tides here if it allows more player movement as long as the rosters don't get too crazy too late and we're not updating our preseason top 25 list in september because somebody left on august 26th okay um the last thing before we go is obviously going to be penny recruiting stories <laughs> um, we'll do movies long, at the end too build. like long build yeah penny penny recruiting stories where are we where are we at Let, let's let's hear one matthew I think this is kind of like a tie-in to, to movies and TV stuff, but this is more of like an event story than a recruiting story, if that if that plays here. Well, you, that is your job, is an events coordinator. Right. So at NCAA live period events, which means college coaches can attend, there needs to be different designated seating areas. So for coaches, for media, for general admission. And for coaches seating, this is so they can evaluate in peace without being bothered. Makes sense. Which can pose a little bit of a problem because at times – We'll have celebrities with ties to high school players, and they want to attend these events, and the, these celebrities either A, think they should be seating away from other people, or B, they should be away so they aren't bothered. Totally get that. And, and generally, they don't know where they should or should not be doing or sitting. The problem and by the way, is, oftentimes in these events, like the seating ends up getting mixed and mashed anyway. It's like, a zoo. Yeah, yeah, it's a zoo. The big events of summer are just are nuts. And the problem with this is with the NCAA guidelines and bylaws prohibit non-coaches from being in other seating areas, which the NCAA can enforce, decertify your event, keeps you up at night because college coaches fuel your events. That being said, we've had people like Dennis Rodman, Jamie Foxx, Lamar Odom all come to our events and you want to be accommodating and, and no one likes moving people or kicking them out of seating areas. And like we said, rules are rules, so we, we try to follow them. A few years ago, one of our event staff ushers comes up to me and says, I have to help him with something, help move somebody. So in the past, that could mean there's a fight, there's an unruly parent, which is not my favorite part of the gig. Unruly media member, like fighting (laughs) people, right? Exactly. 
bringing their own chairs, going to coach's hospitality. I'm like, okay, what do we need? And he leans over and he says, uh, he points to like the other court and said, can you tell your boy Crockett he needs to get out of the coach's seating area? And sure enough, I look over and it's Don Johnson, a.k.a. <laughs> James Sonny Crockett from Miami Vice, and he's sitting among high major head coaches. And I have to be the bad guy and go up to him and say, hi, Mr. Uh, Mr. Crockett, would you mind uh, sitting over there? And he couldn't have been nicer about it, but it's also something to start your day you don't think you have to do. And the other one is similar. I think it was that same week where – we're in Atlanta, I'm asked to help move a person. I, I looked over, it's a guy kind of spread out in the college coach's seating, and it looks like he may have like a friend or a manager or assistant with him. It's a couple kids running around. They all have some food from the concession stand. They look comfortable. They're spread out. I was being pulled in another direction, so I asked, like, can you go take care of it? I, I just can't do this right now. So later in the day, the, the usher circles back to me. He's like, I, I can't believe you made me do that. I was like, wow, what's up? He's like... The guy who made me move, that was Lil Boosie and his family. And I felt awful telling them they they leave, they couldn't sit there. So uh, I guess that's my way of saying some days it's Don Johnson, other days it's it's Lil Boosie. But uh, we always try to strive to keep the college coaches seating exclusively for said college coaches. Except for when the media is there and the media just like randomly walks wherever they want. <laughs> yeah, well, believe me, there's enough... Uh, assistant coaches who don't need to be named that don't understand what uh what signage actually means too so it's a <laughs> it's an ongoing battle between celebrities coaches media scouting service people cameramen it's uh it's always a madhouse and a circus who, who who are consistently the worst people to deal with for you let's let's just put the pressure on penny to just call people out now <laughs> oh, no, i'm not i'm not doing that i'm not taking that bait the, the hardest honestly <laughs> is uh we start at 8 a.m. and the by the time the ebbs and flow, like once the event starts going, the, it kind of figures itself out and, and people know where to sit. But the 8 a.m. set, it's just like a, a mismatch of everyone everywhere. And, and I just, I'm anxious, I'm OCD, I, I panic and, and start throwing people out and having people throw people out. But by middle of the day, it's good. Yeah, media, I will media, say. Media, like the various level of media can be uh, a little touch and go too because obviously there's there's different tiers of stuff you don't want to tell one person no one person yes it's uh kind of gets sticky yeah like i i feel like i often see like the cameramen getting aggressive in terms of like where they want to be like angled so that they can get like the best footage and like totally normal right like that happens yes, of course, at every of course. sporting event but i feel like they're the ones that i see that you know, folks like you end up having to move most often. Not that it's like a fault of theirs. Like it just, no, they're trying to get the best angle that they can. Correct. And you want content for your events and and that's how you build buzz and and stuff grows. But they're also usually under the basket and these, these facilities are tight and there's a basket right behind them too. So you have high school kids or or belt like men or six, seven, 200 something pounds plowing into you. You don't want people to get hurt. And you also don't want 25 cameras on, uh, on the baseline. So it's fun. It's fun. Okay, Penny, uh, movie time. Have you watched any movies since the Final Four has ended? Final Four ended, yes. Actually, the day in between, the Sunday, I watched on Hulu the WeWork documentary. Nicole Auerbach was telling me about that. How was it? Uh, I enjoyed it because I didn't know the whole story, and it, it definitely had a fire festy type feel of oh. leadership, I guess and a little bit of a, a bait and switch and it was very interview based but I, I enjoyed it it was it was a good take i learned some stuff interesting okay yeah i'm in so i've been on a horror binge the last <laughs> little while season ends let's kill people good um i watched the empty man which is like this movie that it was filmed in 2017 with do you know who james badge dale is did you ever watch 24 I didn't watch 24. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Google it as we're on uh, on the call right now. Okay, so James Badgedale is the star of this movie. And it's like a wild movie. It, it was honestly one of the better horror movies I've seen in the last like five years, probably. It got panned at the... Um, not panned, but like it got like... I don't know. How, how do I describe it? Like the reviews were not great coming out but then like over the last few months people have started to watch it and like reassess it a little bit and it's actually like genuinely very good uh 
it's like a lot of different genres. Like there's a ghost story. There's um, like crime thriller stuff there. There's like supernatural horror. There's like culty, like drama shit. Like there's, it's a lot of different things to juggle. And it, the reason that it got stuck was like, it got stuck in the middle of this Disney Fox merger and Fox produced it. But once it got acquired by Disney, Disney doesn't know how to like release weird genre bending horror films that are like bleak and violent. Right. So um, they just <laughs> yeah, like kind of dumped it. Their brand. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They just kind of dumped it. But I, I would really implore people like if you like horror movies, I think The Empty Man was awesome. Yeah, you're you're down the uh, you're down the horror rabbit hole. I I do feel with those movies, even if it is a I don't know if I say masterpiece, but reviews on horror stuff can really sway all over the place too. Yeah, like even if it's the best, people might find the the low lights in it, and and that's the that's the review. Yeah, and like honestly, I kind of used to be that way a little bit with it, and I can still be that way with horror movies. But a really good horror movie, like it's. There's some, you know, it's, it's hard to do. And I think I really, really respect how hard it is to do like suspense and build suspense. Like, like I watched the conjuring last night. Yeah, sure. Um, the conjuring. which yeah, like older movie, like, you know, seven years old, probably now. Um, I was just like, so impressed by the sound design of it. I was going to say that it's just, it's always the music. It's always like the, the sharp orchestra notes that make you jump even when you shouldn't. Yeah, like this, the sound design, I think, was just like really remarkable in it. Um, just the silence and then the sharp notes and then the drastic or not the drastic, like the um, what's the opposite of drastic, I guess, the gradual build um, <laughs> yeah. of like score up until these moments. It, Yeah, that, that one's a really good one, too. Um, I'm not breaking news here that a movie that made like $400 million at the box office. Is good. <laughs> yeah, like, the franchise had all these spinoffs. Right. Making bold statements. Yeah. Maybe the next step is like basketball recruiting mixtapes. We'll have uh, some of these like horror soundtracks to spice them up a little bit, make them stand out. I love it. Uh, Penny, tell the people where they can find your work. I'm still on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny and Sam. Also, thank you. We've, we've done an NBA draft cycle. We've done a college draft. I'm sorry, college basketball cycle. And, uh, I'm, I'm always happy and, and honored to be on here and share our lukewarm takes and scorching hot movie takes too. Yeah. We need to, we need to figure out, um, what we're, what our next steps are here in terms of, uh, you know, what are we going to do next? We got to we got to find something else, like other than just doing draft cycles in season. Draft cycle <laughs> yeah. in season. Draft like, circles. Tell me your worst story. Expose some people. Talk horror movies. Yeah, this is our dream. All right, uh, go to the athletic. Keep me employed over there. Um, you know, Sam underscore Vicini on Twitter. Uh, please leave ratings and reviews. Uh, we'll be back later this week. I'm going to try and do an NBA podcast and jump back in. I'm probably going to have someone come on to just explain what's happening in the NBA to me over the last three weeks. Cause I feel like I haven't watched as much as I typically do, but, uh, until next time we'll talk soon. Bye.